Welcome to Relevant Live with Pastor Chris Sarno, a weekly podcast from Relevant Church in Daytona Beach, Florida. We pray this message helps you connect to God as you find your place, reveal your purpose, and unlock your potential. Let's head live to Pastor Chris for today's powerful message. Uh, Moms do a lot of incredible things. Uh, in fact, you know, the, there's, a, there's a website called salary.org that basically takes every profession in our country and breaks it down according to what typically they do and what the typical average salary is for that individual. And I got curious and I wanted to see what they would put for a mom. And you want to know what? They did. They, they actually looked and they did some research and they said that moms probably feel, if you were going to pay a mom, she feels at least 20 roles. And most of the ladies go, only 20? Uh, you know, she's the chief financial officer. She's the chief operations officer. She's the logistics analyst. She's the housekeeper. She's the taxi driver. She's the kitchen manager. She's the event planner. She does all of these things. And moms, it said that if you are a stay-at-home mom, you work an average of 160 six hours per week, 15 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah. Give him a hand. You want to know what? If you, and if you, if you work outside the home and you're a mom, you're probably working the same amount, right? You're doing all of that stuff. Can I get an amen from all the mamas? Everything you do, right? And they said that if you were to calculate an average and try to pay a mom for what she does, you would have to give her a salary of $184,820 per year to make her worth what she does. I want a raise. How about you? And all the ladies looked at their husband and said, uh, pay up, sweetie. No, but you know what? I, I look and I go, there's a lot of times that I, I wear a lot of hats, and I'm sure that you do as well. We juggle a lot of balls, and normally we can wear all the hats, juggle all the balls, blindfolded, walking on the tightrope, until all of a sudden we can't. Now, this message today is not just for moms, because how many of you guys wear a lot of hats, juggle a lot of balls, do a lot of things until you can't, right? So this message is for everyone today. There's, there's a lot of times in those seasons where it's been crazy and busy, and I'll never forget a few years ago. When I was in a particularly grueling season of my life, and I was, I was trying to manage a lot of different things, and I literally didn't know whether I was coming or going. I did not know what day it was for about six months. I was so over it. I felt overwhelmed, overworked, and definitely very underappreciated. Can I get an amen from anyone in this place today? In fact, that year was so rough for me. When 2020 happened, how many of you remember when the pandemic started and it was a little crazy and hectic and people were stressed out? I looked at my friends. I'm like, oh, this is just the new 2018 for me. I've already been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. This is nothing. We can handle this because of what I had experienced. And one day I threw up my hands and I said, God, I'm over it. Has anyone ever been there? Has anyone ever said I'm over it? I said, something has got to change. And I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, and it's very cool when God speaks to you to begin with, but what he said to me was, you are right. And I got so excited because how many of you know that when God tells you you're right, it is really, really cool. God was like, you're right. Something does have to change. And I'm like, yes, tell me what's going to change. He said that something is you. And in that moment, he said this to me, He said, I did not create you to be over it. I created you to be an overcomer. 
And he shared with me three things to remember, three things to resist, and three things to reset that I'm going to share with you tonight, today. Maybe you're facing a season of difficulty. Maybe your plate is extremely full. Maybe you've got a lot going on in your life. Maybe you're at a place where you're just over it. Can I get an amen from anyone in this place? Maybe you're like, something has got to give. Something has got to change. Maybe you have a hard time managing all of the different roles that you're expected to manage. Maybe you're living in a pressure that's created by external circumstances. Maybe the pressure is coming from inside your own home. And maybe that pressure that you're dealing with is coming from an expectation of who you think you are supposed to be. Maybe... You're just over it. But just like the Holy Spirit said to me, I'm going to tell you today that you were not created to be over it. You were created to be an overcomer, and I'm going to help you with that today. Amen? So we're going to talk about three things to remember, three things to resist, and three things to reset to go from being over it to being an overcomer. So let's start with three things to remember. The number one thing that you will want to remember when those seasons, when you are feeling overwhelmed, when you are feeling overworked, when you are feeling underappreciated, when you are feeling over it, I want you to remember that I am called by God. Can everyone say that right now? Just say, I am called by God. That is so good. And, and when I started studying that out, I started looking through scripture. Those of you who know me know I love to dig into the word. I love to study the word of God. I like to find a bunch of scriptures. And the very first scripture I found was 1 Peter 2.21. And then the God's word translation, it says, God called you to endure suffering. Because Christ suffered for you. And I said, yes and amen. This is exactly what I'm experiencing right now. God has called me to endure suffering. I am suffering right now. And the Holy Spirit said, wrong answer. Think again. That is not the scripture you need to dwell on. Go find another one. How many of you know sometimes you look at those and you're like, oh, yes, I can wallow for another minute because I found this. No, you can't. Really, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, in the New Living Translation, it says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. See, you need to understand that you are God's masterpiece. The masterpiece was typically something done by a master artist. The masterpiece or a composer, their masterpiece is their greatest work. Usually it's their last creation. And it's usually the greatest work that that person painted or wrote or did. Do you realize that you are God's masterpiece? He created everything else in the world, and then he created us men and women. Really, if you want to be honest, he created the woman last. So, I mean, maybe women are a little more of a masterpiece than the men. But you have to understand that you are formed, you are fashioned, you are uniquely created for a specific purpose that God ordained you for. And not only were you created by God, but he gave you the gift of salvation to empower you to fulfill the calling that he placed on your life. It says that he called you to do the good things that he planned. For some of you, that might mean that you are called to be a wife. For some of you, it might mean you were called to be a mother. For some of you, it meant you were called to be a husband, a father, a businessman, a businesswoman, an encourager, a friend. He called each and every person in this place. Just look at your neighbor right now and say, you are called by God. And he created you for a specific purpose. God planned. It says that he created you 
so you can do the good things that he planned for you. How many of you believe that God has good things planned for you to do? I've always loved Jeremiah 29, 11, and so does everyone else in the world. Ready? You know that verse that says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And people write that scripture and they put it on the coffee mugs and they put it on t-shirts and they put it on pictures and they put it on stationery and they get tattoos of it. Why? Because it's an awesome, encouraging scripture. But I wonder if any of you have ever stopped to read the scripture before it in Jeremiah 29. 29.10, because I have. And in Jeremiah 29.10, it says, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. Let's just stop right there. He's talking to the children of Israel who were bound up and brought into captivity. And the encouragement from the Lord came and he said, guess what? You're going to be in Babylon for 70 years in captivity. Isn't that amazing? How come nobody ever put that on a t-shirt? How come nobody ever has that hanging on the wall? You will be in captivity for 70 years. But he said, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I promised, and I will bring you home again, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to bring you good and not for evil, plans for a hope and a future. How many of you know sometimes we're looking for the hope in the future, but we forget that there might be a season ahead of that hope in the future that's a little bit difficult, that's a little bit overwhelming, that we might feel a little over it in the moment. But God said in the midst of that, I know the plans that I have, and you need to know the plans I have for you. They're good. And no matter though, it seems like it's not good and it seems like it's frustrating and it seems like it's overwhelming and it seems like you're just spinning your wheels and it seems like every day you want to pull your hair out. But even in the midst of this moment, I know the plans I have for you and they are good and they're not for evil. For some of you, it might feel like you're stuck, like you're in captivity, but you need to know this this morning, that God has good things planned for you. And he has nothing that can stand in the way of those plans for them to be accomplished in your life. And here's a bonus for you. It's probably not going to take you 70 years to go from captivity to seeing the promise of God in your life. Amen. In Romans chapter 11, verse 29, it says this, when God chooses someone and graciously imparts gifts to him, they are never rescinded. You have to know that God has chosen you and called you. And when God calls someone, the gifts that he gave and he placed inside of them can never be taken away, not by anyone, not by anything, and not even by yourself. I know a lot of people who are trying to hold back and they try to tamp down the gifts that God has for them and they try to hold back and they go, oh no, I disqualified myself. Who are you to disqualify what God has already qualified? Who are you to say, oh, I've messed up too badly. He called me, but I cannot fulfill the call of God. You will be responsible one day when you stand before him. To, he's going to ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? And you don't get to say, oh, well, I wasn't qualified. He said, I called you. Isn't that all you need? You have to remember that your calling for a lifetime is not negated by a moment of frustration. And in those over it moments when we want to throw our hands up and say something has to give, something has to change, I cannot continue going on like this. You want to know what? God doesn't say, oh gosh, look at them. Oh, she's, oh, she's done now. Just take it away and give it to someone else. No, 
He said, I called you and don't you ever forget that I have created and called you and formed you and fashioned you for a specific purpose that no one can take away. But the second thing that you need to remember is not only did he call you, but he equipped you. Whatever God has called you to, he has equipped you for. I think about my son. My son is 16 years old. He has a driver's license. He has a car. And I can at any moment ask my son, I can give him my credit card. And then I remember that he actually already has my credit card. So I don't have to give it to him. He took it. He's like, Mom, can you at least give me dad's credit card? Because like people look at me weird that it says Elizabeth on it, you know. Um, But I'd give him my card. I can say, son, will you go to Publix for me and pick up a gallon of milk? Or when I'm cooking, it comes in very handy having a child who can drive. Yes and amen. Those of you that got the littles just know it's coming soon. But it's awesome to be able to tell him, hey, can you go to the store for me? Would you pick this up? Why? Because he is fully equipped to do the task I have asked him to do. When he was five years old, I would not have given him the keys to the car and my credit card and asked him to drive to Publix, even though he probably would have thought he was able to do it. Why? He was not equipped. My little daughter is 15. She does not have a driver's license. She has not been equipped to drive. Even though she's a little older, I would, they're only 14 months apart. But guess what? She would not be given that directive. Why? Because she is not equipped to do that which I have asked her to do, but he is. If God has called you to something, don't you believe that our heavenly father has equipped us to do exactly what he's asked us to do or he would not ask you to do it? He wouldn't give you an unreasonable thing and say, oh, here's something I want you to do and it's so far beyond your realm. You cannot do it. No, he's a good God. He said that that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 through 11, it says this. It says God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways, so that you're ready for anything and everything, more than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the wind, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. His right living, right giving ways never run out, never wear out. This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something You can then give away, which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. Now, I have heard this passage used many times when it comes to the receiving of an offering. How about you? We talk about he gives bread to the sower, seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. But at the beginning of this, it says God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you are ready more than ready for anything and everything, more than just ready to do what needs to be done. It doesn't say that sometimes you might maybe be ready to do what needs to be done. It says that the blessings that he poured on you when he called you, when he anointed you, when you appointed by him, that he said you're ready for anything you might face. Now, I have faced situations in my life, how about you, that you did not feel ready for. When the situation showed up, you said, I'm not ready to handle this one. But how many of you know that he said, oh, no, you're ready for anything and everything that comes your way. He didn't say some of the time, maybe if you think you're in a good mood that day. He said, no matter what shows up, you are more than ready to do it. You are more than ready to be it. You are more than ready to be the person that I've called you to be. You're equipped and ready for anything that comes your way. 
There is nothing that needs to be done that you don't already know how to handle. Just sink that, let that sink in for a minute. There is nothing that you, you know what, I, I see Addison here today. I think about Addison. Did you know about seven, eight years ago, I looked at Addison and I said, you ever played with a chalkboard before? He said, what? I said, have you ever done any kind of like artistic stuff on a chalkboard before? He said, no. I said, well, we have a chalkboard. I want you to, go, I want you to play on the chalkboard. Just see what you can come up with. Did you know that he didn't know that he had it in him? But now, did you know he paints murals on sides of buildings? And you should go, you can go talk to him and go see his Instagram. And he's an incredible artist and does calligraphy and does chalkboards all around the country now. You want to know why? Because even though he, seven years ago, if you would have told him he would have been doing that, he would have said, what? But there was something that was on the inside of him that he was more than ready and equipped. And all he had to do to unlock the rest of it was to do the first of it. What if in that moment he'd said, I can't do that. I'm not going to be good at that. I've never done that. How am I supposed to do it? What do you want me to do? He might not be doing what he loves in this moment. It unlocked a passion in him. Why? Because God does the same thing with you. What's on the inside of you that God says, can you do that? But you say, I don't know. I don't know if I'm called. I don't know if I can do it. I'm not sure. But if you just take a step and say, if you have called me to it, you have equipped me for it and I'm going to step out. And even though I don't know what I'm doing, I'm going to try. You have to understand that. But the last half of this passage says this most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. I want you to catch this. Because a lot of times in, in the middle of our mess, we become so self-focused on what's going on with us and where we're at. But listen to this. It said he gives you something you can then give away. See, the gifts and callings that are on your life are not for you. They're not for you. It's for someone else. Maybe he called you to be a mother. You know what he called you to be a mother for? Those kids who are wearing you out in the middle of the night and you're like, oh my God. Or they're sitting there for the thousandth time when you picked up their toys and you're like, I can't do this anymore. God called you to that because there's something for you to impart into them. Maybe you're on the job. I'm not just talking to the women. Maybe, you know, this morning we had more men that raised their hands than women that felt like they were over it. There's a lot of pressure in this season that comes for everyone, for men, for women, for everyone. There's a level where you might be sitting there and you're like, I'm just going to work today. Well, did you know that there's something on the inside of you that God gave to you to give away to someone else? Maybe it's a little hope. Maybe it's a little peace. Maybe it's a smile. Maybe it's understanding. Maybe it's saying, let me pray for you today. But when we are so focused, focused on what's happening in our own lives. It makes it impossible to take that, what he's poured out into us and to pour it out onto other people. But if you look and you say, you know what, God, you've given me something that I can give away today. What do you want me to give away today? You want me to give away a little joy? I guess I better start being joyful. The gifts and callings of God on your life belong to you, but they are not for you. They are for other people It says, as it continues, that he gives you something you can then give away. Catch this, which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way. Listen, producing with this great praise to God, the fruit of your generosity with your life and who you are as a person is enabling someone else to have a full-formed life. And maybe, just maybe, without you pouring out into someone else's life, maybe their life never becomes fully formed. There's someone who needs your gift. 
There's someone who needs your calling. There's someone who needs you. And if you don't step out and use it, that person might be lacking in some way. Well, who is this person? Maybe it's the barista at Dunkin' Donuts. Maybe it's the lady who's the crossing guard at the school and the Holy Spirit quickens you to say something to her and you're having a miserable month. And you just want to go home and put the covers over your bed, but instead the Holy Spirit quickens you and you say, hey, I just want you to know something. You look so beautiful today. You're awesome. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and what you do. Do you know maybe that helps her life be a little more full-formed? And the more that you exercise that and the more that you step out and the more that you start looking at other people, the less your stuff is a little less messy. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 through 3, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory. I want you to note that it doesn't say he has given you something. It doesn't say he's given you one thing. It said he has given you what? Wait, can we say that again? He has given you what? All things that pertain to life and godliness. So why do we walk around acting like we don't know what to do, like we are not enough, like we are not equipped? He's given you all things. All we have to do is step into it. He's given you wisdom. He's given you knowledge. He's given you understanding. And even when you think you can't, I want to tell you this morning you can What do we teach the little kids from two years old, one year old? We teach them Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why do we forget that the moment we become an adult? Because I don't know about you, but many seasons of my life, I was not living like I can do all things. Some days I don't get up like I can do all things. I I get up and feel like I'm defeated. I get up and feel like I don't even know when this is going to end. I get up and feel like, how is this going to work? And you want to know what, though? I need to go back to my two-year-old self who learned I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me and rise up with the strength that's on the inside of me because I am equipped by him to do what he's called me to do. Amen. And the third thing that I want you to remember is this. I am graced by God. I want you to remember that you are graced by God. People say it all the time. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, God won't give you more than you can handle? God's not going to give you more than you can handle. That is a lie from the pit of hell. How many of you know that there are many seasons of life when you have far more than you even can conceive of how you're going to handle it? No matter who you are, no matter if you're a man, a woman, No matter if you're a business person or not, no matter what you do, where you are, who you are, what you do, there will be a situation that you face in life that you're going to wonder how you are going to handle it. Because sometimes there's way more than what you can handle. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, and you've been in this church. If you've been in this church, you know this already. But I'm going to reemphasize it. And for those of you that don't know it, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. How many of you in this room said that you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you are now saved, and you believe that you are saved? Do you know, did, what did you have to do to get saved? Did you have to do anything? No, you just believed you were saved and by the grace of God, the grace of God enabled you to step into salvation. And if the grace of God is what started your walk with him, isn't it seeing to reason that every moment of every day is only by his grace? 
And just a quick thing, we, we say around here that grace is God's ability in you that allows you to do the things that you cannot do by yourself. I have many things that I cannot do by myself. But how many of you know when I call upon the grace of God and say, you need to be strong in me, that's when it works. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power or that grace that works in us. How many of you want to know that you can do beyond what you ask or think? Some of you think a certain, you're thinking here, you can go beyond that. Why do we believe the word for some things and we don't believe it for the things that matter? We believe that Jesus will save my friend. We believe Jesus will forgive my friend. I believe, do you know that that Bible is inclusive from front to end and you cannot just pick and choose the parts of it you choose to believe? You either believe it all or you believe it not at all. And if you choose to believe it all, and if you choose to say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and he's in my heart and he's in my life and I gave my life to him, then you have to believe what I'm telling you right now, that he's given you the grace in every situation you're in. You are an overcomer in every situation you were in. The Apostle Paul, he was great. He was amazing. Many of you remember, he went from killing Christians to being the lead Christian of all of them. He wrote three quarters of the New Testament. Paul did not do well in front of people. That's why he wrote such strong messages in his book. He would tell you. Theologians believe that he had a lisp or he had a speech impediment that kept him from communicating the way he wanted to when he was face to face. So he would write letters. And you know, if you read through those epistles in the New Testament, they're very strongly worded. But when he would get in front of them, he would be a little less strong because it was hard for him to collect his, I'm like that. I would rather write you a letter because I, I get in front of you and I'm like, uh, I was going to tell you something that I can't tell you now, I, you know, but you write a letter. But Paul, even Paul was not above this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, I'm going to paraphrase the story for a moment. He said that there was an A, I'll read the beginning of it. It said that lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation that God was giving me, a thorn in the flesh was giving me a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Paul was had something that was bothering him. Buffet doesn't mean a little fly flying around that you have to flick away. To buffet means to continually beat. Have you, how many of you have felt continually beat down by what's going on in your life and over and over and over and you get up and you get knocked down. It's like you're standing in that ocean and just the minute you stand up, a wave comes and knocks you back down and then you stand up again and the wave knocks you back down again and you stand up again and over and over and over. You're being buffeted by something that did not come from God. And three times Paul went to God and he said, God, you have to take this away from me. You've got to remove this from me. I can't do this. I'm not able. And God did not say, oh, okay, Paul. Yes, let me remove the obstacle from your life. Okay, no problem. No. God said, no, Paul, I'm not taking that away from you because my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. For some of you, you've been asking God, change this situation, take this situation away, make it stop, make it better, make it different. And God says the same thing to you. My grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Pastor Chris has been talking about that. But there's a level of when you sit there and you feel like, I don't know how I can go on. I'm over it. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Stand up and know that the power that is in you already is enough to help you withstand even the biggest attack of the enemy. 
You may be facing a situation where you feel like that. How many of you have ever heard someone say, oh, I don't have the grace for this. I don't have the grace for that. Well, guess what? It was by grace through faith. So if you don't believe you have the grace for something, it works through belief or faith, which are interchangeable. I don't have the grace for that right now. Well, then you certainly do not, and it's going to crush you. But if you stand up and say, I believe, I may not understand how I'm going to have the grace for this, but I believe that my God has created me to overcome, and greater is he in me than he is in the world, and I can overcome anything. How many of you know that's the first step to standing up and becoming an overcomer? You have to remember that you are called by God. You have to remember that you are equipped by God, and you have to remember that you are graced by God. And the next thing we have to do, we, there's three things we have to resist. I used to put this part as three things to refuse, but refuse just basically means I say, no, thank you. We went to Mexico a few years ago, and we were on vacation with the family. And one of the things, from the moment you get off the plane, someone is trying to give you or sell you something. Well, you want to buy some coconut water, don't buy anything off the street if you go to Mexico, P.S., you want to buy some bananas. You want to buy some cookies. You want to buy some jewelry. Buy my jewelry. Let me take your picture. Let me take you on a tour. Everywhere you go, people are constantly bombarding, and you just have to say, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks. That's refusing. But did you know that the enemy's coming in just as hard, saying things to you every moment of every single day. He's sending people along to mess up your peace and to get you frustrated. Some of those people live in your house. And it's one thing to say, no thanks, but if someone's coming to kill, steal, and destroy me, I'm not just going to tell them no thank you. I'm going to fight back. That's what it means to resist. So we're not just going to refuse these things. We're going to re actively re refuse is an action, but to resist is, a pro, is proactive, right? Refuse is reactive. Resist is proactive. So I'm going to tell you three things that you need to proactively resist in your life. And the first one for you is wrong beliefs. You have to resist wrong beliefs. And up there I put doubt because wrong beliefs are just doubt. Your beliefs shape everything about you. Every single thing about you is shaped by what you believe about yourself. If you don't believe that you can't, you will not. If you, don't, if you believe you can do something, you will do it. I don't care what it takes. When you believe it, it doesn't matter. You can get knocked down a hundred times and you will still stand up because why? You believe that you can. When you believe you are valuable, it doesn't matter what anyone else says about you. You know who you are. It's so important that I want to make this very clear that any belief that you have that is not formed by the word of God is not necessarily a good thing in your life, even if it's a positive belief. Because if it is not formed by the word of God, then it, if you get rocked, that belief is going right out the window. The word of God is the only thing that will hold on whenever storms of life come. James 1, chapter, five, chapter 1, verse 5 through 8 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. To doubt just means this. To doubt, a very simple definition, means to differ with the word of God. It means that you believe something that's different than what God's word says, and that will never work. So you can't have doubt. 
If you want your prayers to work, you want to walk in faith, then just get what the word of God says and don't step off of it regardless of what you see, feel, hear, any of those things. You have to overcome doubt by doing the opposite and holding on to God's promises, which are only found in his word. So you have to actively work to resist wrong beliefs that try to come into your heart. And the enemy is sneaky. Most of the time, he's not going to give you a belief that's really counting. He's going to slide it in with a little alteration. He's not going to tell you you're worth this. He's going to tell you that one person don't like you. Why? Because the minute you believe and you empower that with your faith, because every belief that you choose to hold on to, you've now empowered with your faith because it now has become your belief, then it just gives him a foothold. All of the wrong beliefs that you've empowered with your faith and become reality in your own life have just given him a foothold to give an onslaught of attack to you anytime he wants. So just because it's a little thing doesn't mean that, that you, you can just go, oh, that was just a little thought. I can believe that for a little while. No, you cannot. You need to actively resist anything that does not come from God's word. The second thing you have to actively resist is our wrong thoughts. Wrong beliefs will become wrong thoughts. A belief in a moment will become something that you meditate on and will become the thoughts of your heart. The enemy is constantly seeking for ways to infiltrate your mind. And he does that by bringing wrong thoughts. And somebody a long time ago said this, that watch your thoughts because your thoughts turn into your words. Watch your words because your words turn into your actions. Watch your actions because your actions turn into your habits. And watch your habits because ultimately they will turn into your character. What is your character right now? Your character right now is a reflection of wrong thoughts, wrong words, wrong actions, wrong habits that created who you are right now. So it starts with adjusting those wrong thoughts and saying, no, I'm not going to choose to think about those things. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. How many of you want to live in peace? Everyone says that, right? You want to have peace. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you worrying about anything? Are you praying about everything? Do you tell God what you need? And are you thanking him for all he has done? Because there's a little word that separates those four things from the, the peace of God coming upon you, and that's the word then. It's conditional. Yes, once that you've stopped worrying, telling God about every, praying about it, telling him what you need and thanking him for doing it, then the peace of God will come upon you. A lot of times we're looking for the quick fix, the peace. I said, I've been looking for to lose the same 15 pounds, but I do not get on the treadmill ever one day in my life because I don't like it. And every day I wake up and think, man, I should really go get on the treadmill today. But I will lose those 15 pounds. First, I have to work out and watch what I eat, and then I will lose that. Do you understand what I'm saying? It works in everything. It works spiritually. How many of us are walking around going, oh, I just don't have any peace? Well, what are you doing? Are you doing those four things? Because that's, it says then the peace of God will come into your situation. Some of you need to back up for a minute and go, oh, wait, that's a great verse. It's Philippians 4, 6, but it continues on in verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. 
Can I be transparent for a moment and tell you that many times I do not fix my thoughts on what is pure, true, lovely, good, all of those things. I think of how I'm being wronged. I think of the things, and guess what? There is no peace in the midst of that, and I have no one to blame for that. You cannot blame another person's for their actions when you're not doing your side. You have to make a choice and a decision. You have to fix your thoughts on the things that are pure, true, lovely, and of good report. You have to ask yourself, am I allowed to think that right now? Can I think that right now? Am I allowed to think that right now? The third thing that we have to actively resist are wrong words, complaining. I believe probably everyone in this room can say we are guilty at one time or another of complaining. Job 9.27 said, if I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and I will wear a smile. We have to put off the complaint. We have to stop complaining. Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Are you at work and you're really thinking, man, my boss is a real jerk and he criticizes everything I do and I can't do anything right? Check your own mouth for a minute. Because it says if you do everything without complaining and arguing, then no one is able to criticize you. Hmm. Maybe your spouse is being real critical of you lately. Don't look at them and expect out of them what they're supposed to do. Check your own self and say, what's going on in my mouth? Because the Bible tells me no one's allowed to, no one can criticize you. Not that they won't, it says they can't. Watch your mouth. There's a difference about complaining. If you're talking to someone who cannot fix the situation, then you are complaining. It's very simple. If I go to someone who I have a problem with something and I know they can fix the situation and I express to them my frustration with it, they can fix the situation. I'm not complaining to them. I'm working towards a resolution of a problem. But most of us, well, a lot of people need to get their Facebook account taken away. Their Twitter needs to be taken away. Because like, I see people on Facebook all the time. I'm like, oh my God, would you, what? They write all this stuff about their, hu- their boyfriend. I won't even say husband. And then like they break up and the next day they're back together and you go, what is wrong with you? Why did you just tell the whole world all of your problems and issues? Or we want to complain to our coworkers about how awful our boss is. I- I'm guilty of this just as much. My boss is great. Um, I'm not talking about my boss, of course, clearly. I've taught, how many of us can we just all repent right now? You've talked, you've complained about someone, something, somewhere, because you, you weren't talking to somebody who could fix the problem. You just want to hear your own mouth. How about just zip it, lock it? What do they used to say when you're kids? Throw away the key and say, I am not going to complain. What would happen if you made a choice to do it God's way? What would change in your situation? Psalm 141 verse 3 says, take control of what I say, O Lord, and put a guard over my lips. That needs to be a tattoo. Put a guard over my lips. Don't let me say it if it's not from you. You have to put off the wrong. I will say this, though, just really quickly, that there is one person you can always share your complaint to. In Psalm 142, 1 through 3, David said, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. You can go read that later. But he pours out his complaint. There's only one person who knows your path anyway. So why not just make him the one you go to? Because it's not as gratifying for your flesh to talk to someone you can't see. And honestly, if you get real quiet and listen, he's probably going to tell you something you didn't want to hear. Right? We don't want to talk to somebody sometime who can solve the problem because he's probably going to do like he did with me. Yeah, something does have to change you. 
I'm going to give you a week-long challenge. From this week to next Sunday, before you walk in the store, I want you to actively resist wrong beliefs, wrong thoughts, and wrong words. If you're married, look at your spouse and say, we're taking that challenge. You hear a wrong word? Nope. We got to resist it. How do you resist it? Well, it says take every thought captive, right, or every word captive. The Bible also says resist the devil and he will flee. So all you, so resist it and say, no, we will not believe that. We will not think that. We will not say that in this house this week or in our car or at work because in our household, we are not going to do that. And I would be willing to bet money you come back here. I don't really bet money, guys, if anyone, you know. But I would be willing to bet money that if you came back, then you would really see a difference in something, probably in yourself and in your ability to handle it. There's also, after we, after we realize that we are called by God, we're equipped by God, we're graced by God, when we learn to start actively resisting wrong beliefs, wrong thoughts, and wrong words, there's something else that we have to do. How many of you have, I have a cable box in my house that wears me out sometimes because all of a sudden the screen will go blank and it'll say not connecting I did not do anything to make it not connect. And what do you have to do? You have to go downstairs. You got to push that button. Those phones, right? My phone was frozen the other day. What I have to do? Turn it off and turn it back on. Sometimes you just got to reset. Sometimes when you're stuck or it's not working right or you're over it or you're frustrated, you have to take a minute to reset. And I'm going to tell you three quick things that you need to reset in your quest from going from over it to an overcomer. The first thing that you need to reset is your focus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 says this, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we just have to do a hard reset on what is our focus right now. And there's three things you can do there. You got to look up, you got to look out, and you got to look in. First and foremost, look up's pretty easy. Spending time in the presence of God will change everything for you. It will, but sometimes we don't want to spend the time because it's easier to wallow in our mess than to go spend time and get it fixed. On the way to work, you're making breakfast, you're getting ready today for your day. Are you praying for your family? Wives who are over it, moms who are over it, when you get up in the morning, are you praying for your children and asking God to come into your home that day and asking his presence to be there and resetting your focus that you're the head of our house, Jesus, and we give you full reign in this place today. I thank you that my children have the mind of Christ. I thank you that my husband is a mighty man of God. Husbands who are over it, are you are men, not even husbands, men, are you going to work thinking, oh gosh, here we go again another day? Are you like, thank you, God, that you've given me the mind of Christ, that people are going to come across my path today? Lord, I thank you that as I drive, I thank you for my boss who has been on my back for the last six months. God, I thank you that show me what I can do to help them today. Show me what I can do to be the best employee. God, I thank you today. Are we doing that or are we just thinking, oh, great, here we go again? We got to look up and put our focus. What would happen if you put your focus on him before you got out of bed, before you got in the car, before you did anything you did? What if your focus was on him first? The second thing you have to do, look at is look out. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, why did I do that again? Maybe you're in a job that's a little stagnant. Ask yourself why you got into it to begin with. There was something in you that loved it at one time. Some of you might be in a marriage right now that you're like, why did I marry them? But there was something about them that you used to love. Some of you 
desperately wanted to be parents, and now you got those kids, and you're thinking, why did we become parents again? I had like, I always thought, I always thought parenting was easy because I had Lauren, and man, she was like a dream. People would be like, wait till she's a teenager. I'm like, she's been a teenager for three years. She's amazing. So I was like, I'm the best mom ever. And then I had my other two children who were a little more challenging. <laughs> and I was like, I am a terrible mother. I don't know what I'm doing at all. But you want to know what? In those moments when those kids are wearing you out, think back to when they were born and the doctor put upon your chest and your heart swelled with love. And you thought, oh, my God, this is why I want to be a mom because I love my children. I want to be a dad because I love those kids. you got to stop sometimes look out and go, wait a second. Let's go back to the beginning. How about even in your relationship with God? I used to love him so much, and now it's become routine, and I don't even pray like I should, and I don't even find joy in his presence. Look out and go, remind yourself, why did you do what you do? Then you got to look in because when you look in, you got to ask yourself a question, what changed in me? Because most of the time, the situations that you're in, nothing changed except for you. What changed in me? Let me reset my focus a little bit. Where does my focus need to be? What do I need to adjust? The second thing that you need to reset is your vision, and this is really important. All throughout the minor prophets and the major prophets, God would come and he would speak to the prophets and he would ask them a lot of times, he would say, what do you see? He would ask them, what do you see? What's going on here? And I was always been struck by Ezekiel chapter 37 where God took hold of him and he was carried away by the spirit of the Lord to the valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor, and they were scattered everywhere across the ground, and they were completely dried out. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know the answer to that. I want to pause there for a moment. When I ask you, what do you see in your life? How many of you see some dead, dry bones laying there? Maybe you see some dead, dry bones in your marriage. Maybe you see some dead, dry bones in your home. Maybe you see some dead, dry bones on your job. Maybe, just maybe, you see some dread, dry bones where vision and dreams used to be. And God says, can these bones live again? And you say, I don't know, God, only you know the answer to that. But what he did next was he said, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you will come to life and you will know that I'm the Lord. And basically he spoke the message and all of a sudden it says that there was a rattling noise and all the, across the valley, the bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. And then as he watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones and skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Some of you aren't looking at dead, dry bones. You're looking at what looks like a fully formed thing, but there is no life in it. Some of you are looking at situations that on the outside, everything looks good, but on the inside, there's no life in it. But he said this. Speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message. 
Come, O breath. Uh, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. He spoke the message and breath came into their bodies and they all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. Dry bones can come to life again. You just have to be able to see it. When you look at your home, what do you see? When you look at your marriage, what do you see? When you look at your children, what do you see? When you look at your job, what do you see? When you look at your life, what do you see? Do you see dry, dead bones? Do you see a fully formed structure with no life in it? Or do you see breathing and living bodies? See, God can breathe fresh vision into the, your life. He can breathe fresh life into your vision for your family. He can breathe fresh life into your vision for your home. He can breathe fresh life into your vision for who he called you to be. You just have to be willing. It doesn't say that God did anything at first. He says, man of God, you speak to the bones and tell them what the Lord says. Some of you, you need to stand up and say, I see dry, dead bones, but let me tell you something dry dead bones right now. This is what's going to happen. You're going to rise again. You're going to come together flesh upon flesh, sinew upon sinew, muscle upon muscle, and you're going to become a fully formed individual. And now breath of God, breathe back into this and become a fully formed thing. But if you look at this, what it says, and this is so powerful. It says they came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. And I read that once and I was struck. What does an army do? Armies fight, armies protect, armies attack, Armies make safe. Maybe the things that are dry and dead in your life, they need to come to life again, not just because you want them to, because there's a direct purpose that will not be accomplished unless they link together as an army to do what God's called them to do. If your family is dry and dead right now, your family is called by God to light a nation on fire and you got to speak to that family and tell it to rise up. Dry, dead bones come alive again. Breathe into them, God. Why? So they can link arms and now we can become the mighty army. You can't be an army if it's, if it's dry and you're dead and you got one over here and one over here and you're scattered and you're separate. You can't do that, but you want to know what? Your dreams, your vision, there's an army inside of you that God has called to go attack the enemy that God is called to advance the kingdom, that God is called to protect. And unless you speak to those dry, dead bones, they never become that army. But you have to be willing to speak. God can breathe fresh life into you. And the very last thing that you have to reset is your attitude. How many of you in this room today are able to control everything that happens in your life? What? No one? Why not? Why? Because you cannot control everything that ha- you can control some things. But there is one thing that you are always 100% of the time able to control. You are always able to control your response to the situations that happen in your life. You cannot control the situation, but you can control your response. Your response or your attitude sets the tone for the resolution of whatever is facing you. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20 says, And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks at all times for all things. You have to make a decision that you are going to keep an attitude of thanks. I'm not saying things aren't going to happen. In fact, I talked about it, uh, you know, earlier. I can't remember if I said it in this service. Did I say it in this service? I don't think so. I think it was the other service. I was talking about the lady who worked at our school. And you want to know what? She was a person who had a lot going on in her life that was really difficult. 
I saw her tears, but I also watched her never walk out of that room without a smile on her face. Even when she was facing situations and circumstances, and I'll never forget that one day another teacher came running up to the front. She said, oh my gosh, this parent came in and he was so mean to her and he said all these mean things to her and he was horrible to her and she must be so upset right now. I'd be, I would be devastated if a parent talked to me like that and they're getting so upset. So I run back there and I was like, hey, are you okay? She said, yeah, I'm great. What's going on? I said, well, I heard somebody else came and told me that, that, that this person was mean to you and said these things to you. And she said, oh, I just thought he was having a bad day. And I thought, isn't it interesting how someone was legitimately being mean, not being kind, rude enough that someone else felt the need to come and defend. And that person literally looked and said, oh, I just figured they were having a bad day. Her, she chose, she couldn't help what happened in her situation, but she could say, my attitude isn't going to reflect anything other than what's going on. Now, is she perfect? Probably not. Did she have bad days? Probably so. But she always decided that it didn't matter what was going on around her. It didn't really matter. She was just going to, it wasn't going to make her lose her peace. So often we walk around and other people make us lose our peace. Driving traffic around here for more than five minutes, you're going to be screaming at somebody. What if you go, eh. I was driving through the Chick-fil-A drive through the other day, and literally, I was, they had, you know the ones where they have the two lanes, and you don't know when you're supposed to go, so the car on the other side was stopped paying, and I had already paid, so I start to go, this lady literally starts jumping up, she's like, Rah! like, yep, you know, and I was like, what the heck, like, I'm just driving, there was a space, you were paying, I, and she literally had the person come over to my car and explain to me how the drive-thru was working. And I was like, I said, I didn't know. I was just driving. And I got mad for a second. Like, what the heck is her problem? Then I said, you know what? Her problem isn't going to become my problem today. There's a lot of things you just got to say, your problem is not going to be my problem. Your issue is not going to become my issue today. I'm going to choose to keep my attitude of gratitude. Oh, thank you, God, that I can even go to Chick-fil-A today. Thank you, God, that I have a job today. Thank you, God, that I am. Oh, my husband's being a little mean. Okay. Not my husband, you know, just hypothetically. My husband's being a jerk today. Oh, he's probably just having a bat. What would happen if instead of, I am not good at this. So I'm learning right along with you. I'll be transparent. But you know, what if you said, oh, he's just having a bad day today? okay, what can I do to make your day better? What would change in your house? What would change in your family? And what would change in your life if you just chose to reset? If you reset your focus, reset your vision, and reset your attitude, what would change? What would be different? You might be in a place where you feel like you're over it. Maybe you play like you're overwhelmed, overworked, underappreciated. You're just over it. But I would encourage you right now to remember that you are called by God. Remember that you are equipped by God. Remember that you are graced by God. Then I want you to resist those wrong beliefs that come and try to tell you you're less than he made you to be. I want you to remember to resist those thoughts that come and try to take you captive and try to bring you back to a place that you don't need to go. And I want you to actively resist those words Put a guard over your mouth. Can I think, can I say this before it comes out of your mouth? Am I allowed to say this? Then I want you to take a hard reset. 
Say, you want to know what, God? Maybe my focus has been off a little bit, but I choose right now to reset my focus. I'm going to look up at you. Give me fresh vision and fresh passion for what you've called me to do. Then I'm going to reset my vision. What do I see in my life? Do I see dry, dead bones? Do I see something in need of a fresh breath from heaven coming in? Then I'm going to reset my attitude, and I'm going to say, no matter what situations come into my life, I'm not going to let that affect the outward influences affect inwardly who I am. Guys, I know it's not easy sometimes. Some of you are in situations right now that look so hopeless. Some of you are in situations, there's some of you in this place right now where your marriage looks hopeless. And you say, God, I don't know if I can do this anymore. When only one of us, I can hear some of your thoughts right now. When only one of us is trying, God, how does that work? I don't think I can do this anymore. He said, let me breathe fresh life into that right now. Just close your eyes all over this place. There's something in this place today where you have felt so beaten down and so downtrodden and you feel so over it. You got, God, I cannot do this anymore. But God said, let me come and breathe fresh life into you again. Some of you are, there's people in here, you just are like, I, God, I can't. He said, yes, you can, because I'm in you and I'm greater right now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Relevant Live with Pastor Chris Sarnum. If you are interested in learning more about Relevant Church, you can visit us at relevantfl.org. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel to hear more messages like this one every single week. Thanks for listening.